You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your number one source for discussions about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Now, get ready for a new episode of Vol Basketball Fever. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, joined by Gene Henley once again here for another episode of the show. Thank you all so much for tuning in, whether you're listening on your podcast app of choice, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever else you get it from. We're on all of those. Or if you're watching on YouTube, thank you all so much for tuning in. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel if you're here and give this video a like as well. Share it around with your friends, whether it's the YouTube video or the actual podcast itself. Appreciate all of you tuning in. It's a very busy time right now in SEC basketball. Gene, we're finally in March. We're in March Madness. As John Rothstein likes to say, this is March. We're here. Uh, Tennessee's already played one game in March. Tennessee finished out the month of February very strong, which we'll get to in just a second. But I do want to go ahead and right off the top of the bat here on the show and mention the whole uh, ordeal with Sagai Ziegler and his his home, his, I guess his, his mom in the house back in New York being uh, just devastated by a house fire uh, that was mentioned on the broadcast on Tuesday night during the Georgia game on the SEC Network. Tom Hart mentioned it uh, during the game. And then UT at the time said they'd have more information that come out. Uh, we're recording this podcast in just a couple hours before we start recording this. Uh, the f- official Vol Basketball Twitter account tweeted out a link to the GoFundMe uh, that's a, that was officially established for uh, Sakai and his mother to help. Uh, you know, you can't replace memories, but because you know, they had lost basically all their their valuables and, and not, vi- not not valuables, it was all the stuff belongings that were in their house. But you know, money can help in, in ways to help kind of recoup some things. The actual uh, thing on here, I'm looking at the GoFundMe. I'm actually going to, uh, for those who wonder, I'll put the description in the description YouTube channel and in the podcast description, I'll put a link to it. So if anyone who's listening to this wants to go donate, they can. Uh, but it said on February 26th, 2022, a fire destroyed the residence of Zakai Ziegler's family in Queens, New York. His mother, who is raising his special needs four-year-old nephew, lost all of her belongings, including his nephew's vital accessibility equipment, including wheelchairs, splints, and etc. cetera. Uh, so it mentions kind of some stuff in here about Sakai being in, you know, at Tennessee. It says the East Tennessee community has embraced Sakai in such an impactful manner that his mother is exploring opportunities to relocate to Knoxville so that the family can spend more time together and Sakai can assist with Nori's care, his nephew. So when this was first posted, Gene, the donation goal was $50,000. It's been up for uh, two hours, maybe maybe three hours at this point, but just a little over two hours, basically, it's been up there. Fans have already donated $163,000 in, in a matter of a couple hours. So first of all, I want to applaud Vol fans for just incredible generosity and just stepping up in a gigantic way for Ziegler and his family. And secondly, I, I you know, obviously want to say thoughts and prayers to Ziegler and his mother and his nephew who are you know going through something that I would never, you know, I can't imagine. And it's, it's the sad thing too, Gene, is this isn't even the first time that's happened to a vol in the last like year and a half. Josiah Jordan James had the same thing happen to him and his family. Uh, they had their, you know, their, their, I think his childhood home got, you know, burnt down in a fire. Or at least it had some sort of uh, house fire. But I want to mention up top of the show, again, I, I'll include the link down below for anyone who wants to go donate, but 
I do. I just want to give a big kudos to Vol Nation for going out there and tripling the goal within the first couple hours. That is incredible, Gene. Yeah, and you know it was interesting because when I first heard about it, I think it was like late last night or, mm-hmm. or earlier today when I first heard about it, and you know, like I'm not again. I always say like I'm not like a Tennessee fan, but you know, I always felt like you know pretty much most any fandom kind of gets a bad reputation when things aren't going well, because I think at, at the core, you know, Tennessee fans are, are, are great. I mean, Tennessee fans are fans, but you don't realize how powerful and how long that reach is until moments like this. This is what truly shows. I mean, I, you understand, look, man, look at them, uh, look at their, their mascots, a volunteer, um, you know, they're, that, that's who they are. And, and so I'm not the least bit surprised and, you know, certainly a big shout out to everything that they've been able to do because I, I, and I don't even think it's done. Like, I don't know oh, no. at, at yeah. what point. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know when they cap it. Um, but I mean, I, I'd imagine that um, I'd imagine that the Ziegler family could have a nice little house and beard. And by the time it's all over with, them, if need be, I mean, like where, wherever I'm not even 100 percent sure. Uh, West Hills. I mean, I'm trying to think of all the you know, I'm sorry, I'm a little. Uh, rusty on my, you know, top level Farragut. Uh, say Farragut, yeah. yeah. I was about to say it's Hardin Valley and Farragut. He'll, he'll have him a nice little three, four bedroom home in Farragut by the time it's all over with. But no, all jokes aside, I mean, seriously, like it, it's it's great to see um, just what this, you know, what what the Tennessee fan base has done. And I wouldn't be stunned just because if you've read his story, um, I wouldn't be stunned if some of the people who you know have donated aren't Tennessee fans, just people mm-hmm. who, you know, who just, who love basketball and love good people and love genuinely good people. And just want to just, just, just try to help out. There's, I mean, you know, for all the, you know, the, 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 the talk that goes between the fan bases, you know, like, you know, Georgia's fan base, I would be son of they chipped in Kentucky's Florida's like all of their, like, you know, biggest rivals, maybe even some bandy. I mean, like you never know what's going to end up, but if you told me that like maybe $400,000 was, was made i mean was you know collected uh, according to this i mean by this GoFundMe, i wouldn't be surprised but even where we are right now uh this is impressive especially in the first like few hours yeah and you mentioned your know, other fans donating and i like you said i absolutely imagine that has happened uh, at this point because I, I i you know last year with um in kentucky and the death of um oh my goodness i i am forgetting his name and i feel awful for forgetting his name but the yeah, could, Yes, thank you uh, for Terrence when he passed away. I mean, wait, 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 Terrence Clark. yeah, Terrence Clark. Clark when he passed away. I mean, you, you I, I said it on Twitter too, and I, I saw you know hundreds and hundreds of all fans saying, you know, this goes way beyond you know a, a rivalry. This goes way beyond sports. You know, you you feel for the the teams and fandoms when something like that devastating happens. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right that Arkansas fans, Kentucky fans, Georgia fans, Alabama fans have probably already donated and you know just seen that you know. This is a, hu- a human issue. It goes beyond sports. It's a humanity thing. You hate to see anyone suffer and lose their belongings. And then especially with Ziegler's nephew, you know, being a special needs little kid, a little four-year-old, losing some of the, the vital accessibility equipment that he needs. Like, that's that's important, too. That's very important that, to get some of that stuff replaced as soon as possible. So I, I'm glad Tennessee has made it a big official thing and they put it out because I think that really, really helped it. Because one thing, if, like, if Ziegler tweeted it out or, or someone else had said, hey, we have this started – and did it, but I, it's it's good that to me that what kind of really spurred this on even more is that it's as a university san- like I guess approved thing, not sanctioned. I don't know how you know. I'm sure there's some sort of legal things and whatnot with the NCAA where UT couldn't do certain things with it. But I saw at the bottom of the 
the message on the GoFundMe, it says this is a, a, a U, this is a approved by UT or whatever. So they, they, you know, they did their, their research to make sure they did everything correctly. And I'm glad they boosted it to make sure it got to as many people as possible. And I'm, I'm glad that this is getting, you know, getting addressed again, you can't replace memories. You can't replace the belongings they had, but this is at least a going a step above and beyond what was asked of, of Vol Nation. So I want to get that up at the top here and say, you know, kudos to Vol fans. And again, if you want to go donate, I don't know, like Gene said, they may cap it at some point. So maybe by the time you're listening to this, it may be closed, but I'm sure if you contacted the university <laughs> and said, Hey, is there something else I can do? Is there any, you know, do they need food? Do they need, you know, clothes or whatever? Then I'm sure that they would, you know, steer you in the right direction for that too. Uh, to go on to the court, Gene, last t- since we last talked, Tennessee has played a couple games and a couple of big ones. Well, one big one and one that Tennessee finally was able to snap a losing streak they'd had for a long time. Well, really technically two of them, they snapped uh, six game losing streaks. But the big one to, to mention is the one we were previewing last week when we last spoke was the Tennessee-Auburn game. Vols come out and beat Auburn 67-62 in Knoxville after Auburn had a lead at halftime. Auburn had a a double-digit lead, if I remember right, at one point. And then Tennessee was able to fight back. And in the second half, they grabbed a double-digit lead. Uh, And then, you know, Auburn stormed back as well. But it was a sold-out crowd, a a 4 o'clock tip. And it was an incredibly loud crowd and an incredibly just amazing environment for that game. All the things that stand out from that game, Gene, that, you know, that we could, there there are several things I think we can pull away from. Because now I think you're at the point where, in the season where, you know, we talked about the Kentucky game, uh, I guess a week and a half ago or so, two weeks ago, about how it's hard to kind of pull things away from either of those two games because of just the nature of the rivalry and the nature of how lopsided both those games were um, and the respective home venues. Yes, this wasn't Thompson Bowling, so it's, again, it's skewed, it, it skewed a little bit too because it's just been home court advantage has been insane in the SEC this year. Uh, the top four teams in the SEC have a Auburn, Kentucky, Tennessee, Arkansas have a combined one loss at home this year. If you extend it out to Alabama, it's just a combined three losses at home this year for the top uh, five schools in the SEC. So home court advantage has been real. But what really stood out to me in this game, Gene, was Jabari Smith got his 27 points, eight boards. He's the number one overall pick. I mean, I don't know how you could dispute that. Some of the stuff he was doing out there on the court, a, a 6'10 player had no business having the skill set he does. He, he's a little bit of a... I think Jason Swain said this, and I agree with him. He's got some KD and, and KG, Kevin Garnett, mixed in with, with him and just some of the stuff that Jabari Smith can do. But what really, really, what really just caught my eye in this game was how good Tennessee was at rebounding against a team that was the number one rebounding team in the SEC and one of the top rebounding teams in the country. Tennessee out-rebounded Auburn 54-31, to 31, Gene. So it wasn't just like a... You know, they barely did. They dominated the boards, including 21 offensive boards in that game against Walker Kessler, against Jabari Smith, and, and against a, uh, you know, that, that's kind of their two main rebounding guys. But you also have Dylan Cardwell, who played minutes and is plenty capable of grabbing boards as well. Gene, that was just an incredible effort on Tennessee's part on the glass. And it was really led, uh, for the most part, in my opinion, by Brandon Homie Hatfield and the effort he gave. He had five points, and he had, but he had eight rebounds, and five of them were offensive boards. He led the team with five offensive rebounds. You also had, you know, Josiah Jordan James almost getting a double double with ten points and nine boards, eight defensive, one offensive. Urosh had six points, seven boards. I mean, even had Fulkerson, he only had five points, but he had nine rebounds. And he, oh, sorry, he led the team with offensive boards. He had six. I, I miscounted there. So Hunt, Brandon had five. Fulkerson had six. 
Uh, Jonas Adu had five total rebounds. Three of those are offensive boards. Gene, the, the the whole just amount of offensive rebounds Tennessee had, I think Bruce Pearl said after the game that it gave Tennessee something like almost 20 extra possessions in that game that you know the Auburn did not have because of the amount of offensive rebounds. And, and you look at the the shot select or the shot numbers, Tennessee attempted 61 field goals uh, compared to 65 at Auburn, but uh, Tennessee also got to the free throw line a little bit more. By a little bit, I mean a lot. 27 free throw attempts compared to just 15 for Auburn. So some of that was by fouls that Tennessee was able to get drawn on, uh, on on Auburn there. But a lot of that was because of the you know the the ability to get putbacks, the ability to grab offensive rebounds. That that to me was the biggest thing for a Tennessee team that has had a lot of front court issues this year. That was a really nice encouraging sign, and it it didn't translate maybe as much into the next game for Tennessee against um, against Georgia. But I look at it, and Roche had 10 boards in that game, which, I mean, I didn't actually even realize that until just now, but he had 10 boards. Huntley Hatfield, again, had five, and, and four of his five in that game against Georgia were offensive rebounds. Josiah, again, eight boards. So if Tennessee has finally learned kind of how to rebound and rebound consistently, that's really going to help the already you know very solid uh, guard play that Tennessee has on a night-in, night-out basis. If that's, if that's going to be the case for Tennessee as we're now into March and heading into tournament time, that really, to me, elevates this team and what I think they can do. Yeah, I think one of the most uh, glaring stats uh, is the fact that um, Tennessee actually had more offensive rebounds than Auburn did defensive. Um, Yeah, like they had 21 to Auburn's 20 defensive boards. So when Tennessee was missing a shot, Tennessee was getting its own rebounds more more times than Auburn actually got their – got defensive rebounds when you can't again I mean you know you said that Pearl mentioned it if you can't close possessions with the defensive rebound or a turnover man that's going to end up being a long day and that's exactly what it was in the second half of that game because you look at some of the other just random things I mean like Tennessee turned it over and Auburn turned it into points it's just I mean Auburn just couldn't get anything going in his half court game and Tennessee was able to take advantage of that by just constantly just attacking the glass, attacking the boards. Uh, Huntley Hatfield, Jonas Adu, and uh, John Fulkerson had more offensive rebounds than defensive rebounds. And when you have that, man, look, man, like the fact of the matter is, like we can, we're going to go, we're going to get into the Georgia game, but you can't be all that surprised because you are talking about the emotional high of finally beating Auburn. And then going to Georgia, <laughs> like at least, I mean, at least if you're going to, the way that that's set out, at least give me a, a Texas A&M, at least give me somebody average to above average in terms yeah, of like competition. South level. Carolina or something. You go from the number, what, four team in the country to the worst team in the SEC that's whose coach is like literally um, has one foot out the door. And heck, last week spent, you know, last weekend just fighting speculation that, he had, you know, covered up things that, <laughs> that were trying to get him fired. I mean, like, that's, <sighs> that's where – so at least give me somebody more. So, like, I understand the emotional letdown of the first half of last night's game. They figured it out. They won the game in the second half. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, like, look, that was one of those games, and you and I talked about it last week, you know. Auburn is typically had a success against Tennessee under Bruce Pearl because they had a whole bunch of guards that could shoot. And guess what they don't have this year? Guards that can shoot. Yep. Uh, I'm saying you're looking at three point percentage. Their best shooter was uh, Jabari Smith. I mean, you've made three, but attempted nine. Their mm-hmm. their guards 
uh, Wendell Green, one of seven. Um, Johnson, who was good otherwise, was one for three. Uh, Jasper, didn't even, he attempted one for some reason. I don't even know why. Uh, Flanagan, 0 for one. Like so, when when you're when your guards, I mean, like I said, we, we talked about this. Like man, three years ago, Auburn still hitting threes from that SEC championship game. Still, I think they hit what they hit like 16, I think, or whatever the number was. It was ridiculous. at least 14, but, yeah. Yeah, it, it was the four, it, whatever it was, it was they were just wide open shots, too. It wasn't like it was just, it wasn't like Tennessee even played bad defense. Just, you know, when you've got four guys out there that can hit shots, man, it makes it tough. And so now you're running the same offense and you've only got one guy who can actually hit that shot can, that you know that you feel comfortable hitting that shot because green didn't hit green didn't hit anything um you know you know cambridge didn't hit anything and i'm just looking at every single bar flanagan didn't hit anything like your guards made two threes <laughs> your likely lottery pick you know apologies to you know i mean at the very least he's a lottery pick um i think he's number one but if look man if you said chet holmgren or uh, the kid from Duke, then I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't fight you over it, man. It's a good position for somebody, some horrible franchise uh, to be in this, this upcoming draft. Three guys who have good size, you know, Benchero, you know, like the, who's the smallest guy, Benchero, <laughs> Smith and. Um, yeah, that group, I think so. Kid. Yeah, it was seven, three. Um, I, I mean, like that's a good position to be in, but anyways, like that's, like when, when you're looking at that Auburn team and like they're, they're built weird, whatever their guard play has been a question all year. People have questioned their guard play and against good teams, especially good defensive teams that can get exploited. And that's precisely what happened against a good Tennessee team. That's, you know, that wins a lot of games and, and won a game of consequence, a huge game of consequence on Saturday. So I got, I got a question because I, I know, kind of how I'm leading to this, but I know also I can be a little more biased than you since I am a Vol, like more, definitely more of a Vol fan. <laughs> but it, it seems to me like even just looking at the, just the raw numbers that I, I looked at it, um, I think it was after, it was right after the Auburn game. I looked it up because I was like, I'm curious. Um, in your opinion, Gene, is this team like peaking at the right time? Because I look at it and what they've done in February now, obviously now we've won game into March, but Tennessee's record in February, I looked it up this past year uh, or this year was seven and one. It was the best record Tennessee's had in February under Rick Barnes and the best that Tennessee actually had in, in a decade. That 2010-11 team. Or, yeah, no, wait. I'm trying to remember what it was now. Yeah, I think it was, it was the... Uh, it was No, it was Conzo. Yeah, Conzo's first year. So whatever year that was now, that was the last time that Tennessee went 7-1 and one in February. And I will still contend that I think that team should have made the SEC, the NCAA tournament because that team was playing hot at the right time. They had a, they beaten some good teams. If Bruce Pearl's eighteen and thirteen or eighteen and fourteen team or whatever nineteen and fourteen team can make it into the NCAA tournament, I don't know why Conzo's couldn't have. But anyway, I digress. My point is, it seems like Tennessee's playing better and have figured things out now, and are playing better at the right time. And I thought it was also mentioned really well on the broadcast last night with both Tom Hart and Dame Bradshaw talking about just because as a microcosm of the team, Kennedy Chandler as a whole. When you look at you look back at what he was doing early in the year to where he is now. I mean, he has matured a lot. He's still making some freshman mistakes, but he's not making some of the same mistakes that you and I were talking about, you know, a month ago, Gene, where we were saying, you know, Hey, he's, he's, he's a five-star. Yes, but he's still making some mistakes. He's still doing this. You know, I'm wondering kind of what he's going to do. No, he's still an NBA player. He's going to get drafted in the NBA. But I, I think 
you know, I don't know how much his NBA draft stock has changed. I'm looking more specifically just at, as him as a vol. He's not doing some of the things that got him in trouble early on. Uh, you look back at the Villanova game, he got exposed big time in that game. I think if Tennessee plays Villanova now or if Tennessee plays Texas Tech now, I think Kenny Chandler uh, plays a lot better in those games than he did, you know, back in, in December, when, or I guess November was when they played Nova, whatever, back in the first couple months of the year than, you know, than, than he did then. I think he'd play a lot better now. And I think that's he, he's a big reason why Tennessee has improved is because that point guard play has gotten consistently better and better. Defense has always been there for Tennessee the whole year. Offense has finally started to figure things out. I don't, I don't expect them to go out and drop, you know, 80 points on anybody ever, but they can do enough things against against Auburn, for example. They can do enough things against good defensive teams to just do what you got to do, which is score more points than the other team because their defense is usually consistently very good. It was a little iffy and actually generally pretty bad against Georgia in the first half. But like you said, there, there are reasons, I think, for that. Um, and they bounced back pretty well in the second half. Still didn't look incredible, but Stegman Coliseum is just... I mean, it's been a house of nightmares for Tennessee. So just getting a win there, I don't care how you do it. I, I'm happy they got the win. But my, my, whole, my whole point is, I think Tennessee's peaking at the right time. I mean, we'll we'll see. Things just don't go Tennessee's way in tournaments, in the SEC or the NCAA tournament especially. But it just seems like they've, this is the first time in a long time that Tennessee is finally looks like they're playing some of their best ball at the right time. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what the answer would be to that question. That's the last time that you really felt comfortable about this team, you know, going into the most important month of the season. Um, you know, like I, that maybe perhaps that 18-19 team. That's, that team I, I, felt, I felt pretty good. That 17-18 team. I remember thinking they they were playing they were playing well down the stretch, uh, and I think they'd had that they ended up having a bad loss to Georgia and Stegman again. That's just been a nightmare for Tennessee there. But that was the team that was playing well. They ended up you know closing out and beating Georgia at home to win a share of the SEC title with with Auburn. Then they made it to the SEC finals against Kentucky, and I still think if if Cal Alexander had been healthy, they would have beaten Loyola Chicago. But obviously that you know neither here nor there if if some butts and stuff, but. Um, that was probably the best I'd felt going into the tournament. But you're right. I mean, the 1819 team, I felt confident in because that was a team that had been number one for a month. Right. And so, you know, like you, you look and it's not like, I think the biggest credit to this team's potential is the fact that if you look, it's not even like Kennedy Chandler had a great game against, uh, against Auburn. It's not like you went out there and had, you know, this is a kid who's dropped 20 in games, like over 25 in games. Like, it's not like he did that. I mean, he had four turnovers, only two assists. Um, you know, he you know two rebounds. He didn't make a three. It, it's not like he did anything that on those, you know, according to the stat sheet, was just exponential, just great. But you look at the little, just, you know, the little extra stats, and he was the best player on the court in terms of, like, just plus minus and stuff. And so that's – like, so his value is becoming more and more about his ability. I mean, becoming less and less about his ability to put the ball in the basket and more and more about the decisions that he's making over the course of time he's in there. Like, he played 33 minutes. I mean, yeah, he has some turnovers. It is what it is. Um, I, I, it's like, but they weren't always those just like these crippling turnovers that can cost you in key moments. Um, again, like I, I was not a fan of his decision making. I, I felt like John Fulkerson bailed him out in that Arizona game when he took a bad shot at the end. The ball just happened to roll to Fulkerson, who laid it in and got fouled. 
Um, whereas now, like you see some of the things he's capable of doing. Um, I, I was able to see bits and pieces of Saturday's game. And like one of the best plays I saw him make was just uh, the left-handed layup on the right side over uh, uh, who's the 7-2 kid? Kessler. Yeah, Kessler. 7-1 kid, Kessler. You know, I thought that was a really good play, and I, I kind of wondered why he shot it left-handed. But I feel like you're just just trying to up the degree of uh, difficulty of nothing else. But, but yeah, I mean, like you've got to have point guards that can make plays in March and make good decisions in March. I'm, this is not to say, you know, this is not to say that this team, man. I, I know what you know what Rick Barnes said. This is a national championship contender. Um, maybe they are. I mean, if you look at some of the pieces they've got, Beskivy's shooting the ball well because water is wet. Um, <laughs> Josiah is playing some of the best basketball that he's played in his in his career. Um, you know, I'm just looking now. You had ten and nine um, against Auburn. Yeah, and, how, like, I was, I was, was going to bring him up. How, how about our guy Josiah? He's, Man, he's he's been killing it. He had 20, 23 points career high. Georgia eight eight boards, five assists in that game, two blocks, two steals. He he's been on like he he's been a different player over the last month. He's been really, really, really good. And that's why it's always going to be about, you know, how do your best players play? Like, you know, how many guys do you have that can just go make plays for you? And it's starting to become evident that uh, Josiah is going to be one of those guys. He you know, he's hitting shots. Um, he's affecting the game in a positive way. Chandler's doing the same thing. Huntley Hatfield's making great contributions to this team you know, finally figuring it out. And I mean, like, look, man, when you're a freshman in Rick Barnes' system, there's no guarantee you're going to get out there that early. You know, ask, you know, Adu had obviously things that he had transpired that kind of affected him. He's still a little bit behind um, Huntley Hatfield in terms of offense. Because Huntley Hatfield's hitting threes now. That was a big three he hit against Auburn. I think yeah. at a key point where they were really struggling to, to hit shots. Um, but, yeah, like, I think that this is a team – like, look, say they get – they take care of business what, against – I mean, Arkansas is their last game, right, on Saturday. Yep. They take care of business against Arkansas. That gives you 23 wins going into the conference tournament, uh, which, you know, I, I think I predicted 22. So, I mean, I think you, you and I are we predicted over 20, so we're both pretty close. Um, but that also puts you in a good position. It doesn't matter if you're one, two, three, or four, man. Like, how are you playing going into the conference tournament? Mm-hmm. You know, like if, if if people really if people really want these conference tournaments to have put add some stake to them, treat them like the Southern Conference tournament or the OVC or one of these things where there's only one bid in line on the line. Like if they want to see something really exciting, because you know everybody poo pooed, you know Tennessee beating Kentucky that year in 1819 because they lost to Auburn. You know, and in Kentucky, I mean, I felt like Tennessee kind of took a took their foot off the gas against Auburn because they had beat Kentucky. Uh, in the fashion they did. Yep. Um, if you really want to add excitement to some of these, just make it, you know, kind of say the, you know, the, that first, that, that school gets an automatic bid. Because if you want to see desperation, you want to see teams playing at their best, put it all on the line. Um, but I think this team right now, everything's about placement now. Everything's about placement. Like you can't control Auburn's results, Kentucky's results, Arkansas. You can't control those things. You have zero control. You, well, Arkansas, you do but you have zero control over Auburn's results and Kentucky's results because we've already played them. So, like, the question is, how good do you feel about your team at this time? And from everything you're seeing, you're talking about a team that's won, what, 9 out of 10 or something like that? It's a, or they lost to Texas and they lost to Arkansas. Or what, 8 out of 10, whatever the number is. Mm-hmm. I can only recall two losses they've had yep. <laughs> recently. And, 
one of those was on the last second shot and one of those is because they called like 47 charge calls um <laughs> and like 36 of them were against tennessee mm-hmm. but, like you're getting the contributions i mean everybody kind of felt like things were um that things were dire whenever they lost to whenever they lost um olivier and you know these new guys this new crop you know you got plastic that's kind of your 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 muscle you got Huntley Hatfield that's slowly figuring things out. You got to do that slowly figuring things out, and then you got Old Man Fulkerson that's out there just putting in work, man. Just putting in work because he's got the he's got the urgency. He's the urgency that this team needs because he's not look. He's not. He may play fifteen minutes till game. He may play ten. He may play twenty five. It doesn't matter. But that's a senior who sees it now. Like whenever if you're a senior and you see it, that's going to that's going to ratchet things up in a way. That uh, that like a freshman may not understand. Heck, in some cases, a sophomore or a junior would understand. Mm-hmm. Like he he tasted, he realizes this is a good team, and that's a kid who's willing to do whatever it takes um, to help his team out because he's a ball and you know he cares and and also they have what it takes. I mean, I guess the biggest concern for me would be just point guard play in March. Nothing against Chandler and Ziegler, but man, that's two freshmen on a tough stage in the NCAA tournament, um, that would be my biggest concern, but that's not all that much of a concern, to be honest, because they played well and they're two tough kids. So um, to answer your question, I mean, I think that, I think that they are, um, and we'll see, we'll see what becomes of that because, you know, seven out of eight in, in February is, is huge, you know, and with the level of competition that the SEC gives a team like Tennessee, in February to win all, all but one of those games and when of course when every game at home was uh was massive for this team going forward and we'll just have to see what happens uh from here on out yeah you uh you were talking about kind of it doesn't matter what seed you are necessarily in the tournament it's more about how you're playing and that's I think you're right you know that is true like it, it's nice bragging rights to say hey we, we finished first and we got to the we won a regular season title. But other than that, like most team, most time you're not going to remember if your team finished second or third or fourth. Like it's it's more braggy rights for first place. But you don't, you personally aren't going to really remember if Tennessee finishes two, three, or four. It's about you know how your team's playing and um, who you get matched up with in that first round. And I'm, I'm looking right now because of how tight how tight the SEC races are. I may put it up here on the screen if I remember to go back and editing and do that. But, you know, right now, obviously, uh, this is we're recording this before Auburn and Arkansas play their game on Wednesday night. I imagine Arkansas will win theirs. Uh, they're playing at home, so I, I just don't think Razorbacks are going to lose at home. And Auburn is on the road against Mississippi State, which will be interesting, but I still expect Auburn to win that game. Uh, although Auburn's not – they have not been playing super great as of late. But anyway, um, you look at just the likely teams Tennessee to face. I, I expect Alabama to stay in fifth and – they would stay in the top half of the bracket if that's the case. Worst case scenario, I think, for Tennessee is finishing fourth, which would mean that they would be back in the top half of the bracket, which means they could play Alabama. But I'm going to go ahead and assume Tennessee finishes, You know, like you said, that they go and win, because I think they're favored right now, against Arkansas at home, which would give Tennessee at least the three seed, if not two seed. So either way, Tennessee at the two or three, they're in the bottom half of the bracket, or the bottom section of the bracket there, which means they'll be matched up with likely anywhere between the either the six seed, seven seed, or 10 seed. I mean, it could be a 14 or 11, but I don't know about that. But that means you're likely facing in the first round, your first matchup in the quarterfinal, 
a team like a Florida, a South Carolina, an LSU, a Mississippi State, or Texas A&M. Those are kind of the, the likely ones looking at the the uh, standings right now that are in that six to eleven type range that that could you know be a potential first round or first matchup for Tennessee on that Friday of the SEC tournament. I think on a neutral site court, Gene, Tennessee could beat any of those teams, but obviously Tennessee can also lose any of those teams. I, I think that's that's going to be an interesting thing to see is with the home court advantage being as huge as it's been this entire year for the SEC, really to me this entire year for just college basketball in general, how do these teams that are used to having really good home environments like the Auburns, Kentuckys, and Tennessees, and Arkansas, and Alabamas, how do they do in a neutral site against some of these teams that are maybe not as used to having uh, really good home environments uh, like a, well, I guess like a Texas A&M or a Vanderbilt or somebody that, you know, they end up having to face potentially in the, in the quarterfinal or in Alabama's case in the I guess, second round or whatever, you know, their first game. I think that the, the neutral court is the big equalizer. And it's not like it's in Nashville. This you know, it has been in years past where Tennessee fans can travel really well to, or Kentucky fans can travel really well to. It's in Tampa Bay for some reason. It's an ACC country. Uh, I, I don't understand why it's in Tampa Bay, but I mean, I, I could look into it. I'm sure there was an actual reason, but but it's down there. So, I mean, you have Vol fans that are in Tampa and you have Vol fans that will travel. Kentucky fans will travel anywhere to go watch the Wildcats play. But I don't imagine you're going to have as big of crowds there as you would in Nashville or you would in Atlanta or, you know, more a more centrally located place to SEC schools. So I, I'm really curious to see how the neutral site really could affect things for a team like Tennessee that really they've talked about this year. They've really feed off that home crowd and they've struggled the most on the road. But Tennessee also has they haven't played a neutral site game, a true neutral site game uh, since December against Texas Tech. So I do I, I do wonder kind of how that's going to work. And with this year being so home heavy for these teams, if that's really going to affect them mentally in a in a new environment and a neutral site where, you know, they're not going to have, you know, 10, 15, 20,000 fans, you know, cheering you on when you you know, when you you're, you're reaching a low point, you need a little bit of a boost. Yeah, that's going to make it tougher. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking here, and you know, obviously, to only win one game on the neutral side for Tennessee, you know, that's that was also a long time ago. And so, the question to me is, where are they at now? Who do you feel the best about now? Like personally, I'm looking at, you know, Arkansas. They only played eight away games this year. Like, you know, <laughs> I just that's just crazy to me that's the fewest in the league they played eight and that'll fit well they'll get a ninth obviously because they're right. coming to, they're, they're coming to Knoxville on Saturday but you're, you're talking about teams that you know to your point like don't have the advantage to anymore like the advantage that they had of you know Auburn's 15 and 0 at home Kentucky's 18 and 0 at home Tennessee's 15 and 0 at home Arkansas 16 and 1 what's that like 31 and 1 64 and 1 in home games, uh, I think I'm just that's spitballing. I'm sorry if my numbers are a little bit off. I did that quick 64 and one at home, and you know, that's kind of glued you to the advantage that you got in the league right now. Like winning your home games has been massive, like you know, like that's and stealing wins on the road because I'm saying, looking at Auburn, Kentucky, Tennessee, and um, Arkansas are all at least 500. And uh, mm-hmm. that's been the key to being to the top of the league because everybody else is, like, not good. Mississippi State is two separate teams, which is why tonight's going to be an interesting game. 14-2 at home, 1-8 on the road. But, you know, so when you get to this neutral site, which it's where I completely forgot, completely forgot to you said that, that the SEC tournament's in Tampa. 
Yeah. I completely forgot. And I don't understand why. Um, I don't know who that behooves. I don't know who that benefits. Florida? I mean, not, but it's just like not even Florida. Tampa's not that close to game. Uh, no, it's not. It's like four hours. I, I'm just guessing. I'm guess like three, four hours. And so it doesn't really benefit anybody. And and so I'm like Bridgestone is the big loser here. Nashville's the big loser. You know, the big loser here. And I, I don't know exactly where I'm not exactly sure what the benefit is for any of these teams. Like there's not a team that you can say has a clear cut advantage because all the top, everybody wins all their home games, you know, except for Florida, South Carolina, and, you know, top, the top level teams, you know, Florida's lost four, South Carolina's lost four, A&M's lost four. Everybody else wins all their home games, which is why they're the top half of the league. And, and so now that you lose that advantage and you don't even have the, you know, you know what did I say, blue gets in, you know, that Kentucky always has, and you know, Kentucky's going to be there, Tennessee's going to be there. I'm not, I'm not so sure that any of these other teams are going to be there at all. I mean, these, their fan base is going to be there. Right? I guess you could say Auburn, maybe. Maybe. I, I mean, Auburn basketball is not exactly – I understand pros it excites them, but Arkansas, maybe. But, <laughs> I mean, how many teams in the SEC are traveling further to Tampa than Arkansas? A&M, maybe? That's it, yeah. Like, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, can't think of, I can't think of all of the Arkansas. No, look, I know Arkansas basketball fans. I don't know that many. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how many live in Florida. I'm, I'm not exactly sure how many are excited. But so it's it, like maybe this is me going on a tangent about how stupid it is that the SC tournament's in Tampa. But um, as far as the question is concerned, like you know, I, I think that's why I've tried to focus on just the importance of you know being at your best right now. And because if they could, if Tennessee beats Arkansas, then they're going to go into the SEC tournament the level of uh, confidence that we may not have seen in, in quite some time because this is a team that is going to have, you know, be on a four-game winning streak uh, to have some quality wins to be able to say when was the last time that you could actually say that Tennessee beat the top three teams in the SEC that weren't Tennessee? They didn't beat LSU that year. They made it to the whatchamacallit. They didn't beat Auburn. Yep. In, in eighteen in eighteen nineteen, they they lost to LSU that controversial game down in Baton Rouge. They lost to Auburn on a, in a tight game in uh, what you call it um, in Auburn in Auburn, and yeah. they yeah, and they split with they split with Kentucky. This year, they can defend if they beat Arkansas, they can definitively say because it's not like there's this is a this is a very top heavy league this year in the standings. Yep, we can definitively say if we're Tennessee. That we beat Auburn, we beat Kentucky, and we beat Arkansas. Now, if they look, if they lose Arkansas, that's all null and void. But right now, it's the first time in a while that they've been able to say, look, we've shown that we can beat the top teams in this league. Um, they don't really have, they don't have a bad loss. I mean, they lose to good teams, they beat good teams. And that's a credit to just how good this team is this year because it's not. It's not the highs can be high, but you can't have the lows. You can't have the low lows. You couldn't have them losing to Georgia last night. You know, you couldn't have them losing to Missouri. You really, you know, I understand they struggled against Ole Miss, but they won. I understand they struggled a little bit too against Vanderbilt, but they won. Um, but you don't have the bad losses that can affect you. And and so, like to me, 
I'm looking at this like, man, this is your chance. Maybe you win the SEC. I don't know. I'm not here to predict. I don't really love the prediction game. But I'm looking at a team that is playing at a level that you believe, that, that you start to believe can win three games um, in Tampa. It's so weird to say. They can win three games in Tampa. It's, I should, should be saying Nashville, but they can win three games in the SEC tournament and win a championship and have all the momentum. Like when they announced those selection shows, uh, I mean, the selection show on Sunday, mm-hmm. they can, you know, they, they, they'll have all of them. Even, again, like whatever they do, like I still think that this is a team playing at its best because at the very least, it's going to go into a tournament with maybe with multiple wins in six games, five wins in six games, or six wins in seven games, or a seven-game win streak, eight-game win streak, whatever the case may be. Like they're going to have that because they developed this team in February when people question them in January. I think I, myself included, I question mm-hmm. you know their long-term feasibility. And they've completely overcome my doubts because I know that's really important for the Tennessee, you know, basketball team is oh, what is team all about us. But they've developed into a really good team. And I mean, I think that's to walk into any arena and pull out a victory because they've done it. They've done it in Thompson Bowling. They've done it away from Thompson Bowling. They still got that big road win that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. But they've got six road wins, six true road win victories. And they've got they've been able to show that they can win on a neutral side. And they beat books of Carolina in that game. Yep. So, like, they've shown that they can beat at least quality teams. And so I, that's that's more reason why you should be confident about this team going forward, wherever they're playing at. Yeah, there haven't been too many teams that have gotten a, a big road win this year. Again, it just there's just been so many uh, – the, the home court advantage has just been so ridiculously good this year. I'm looking at the, the – little like, for a net update for the net rankings and – the top like 20 teams have all have like just extremely good home records. There's only like, I think four of the top 20 teams I'm looking at. No, three of the top 20 teams. Yeah. I think no four. Yeah. No three of the top 20 teams. I I can't count. I keep looking at 21. No, Wisconsin's 20 now. So four of the top 20 teams on the net have uh, three home losses and the rest of the teams have less than three home losses all year. So, I mean, that's, it's just been hard to win on the road across college basketball this year. Uh, but I, I was looking at the net for a reason because we're, we're talking about, you know, Tennessee not having a bad loss. All seven, you know, the, the, that was a big thing for me in the Georgia game was, for one, finally, you know, ending that six-game losing streak in Stegman Coliseum, getting the first win since 2011, uh, since Bruce Pearl's last year at Tennessee, uh, for Tennessee uh, in, in that game. Uh, excuse me, the f- first win in Stegman since Bruce Pearl's last season when you had that Brian Williams tip-in so they get 59 57 for that win. I think it was tipping at the buzzer, even if I remember correctly, but it, it was a tip in with, with little time left on the clock. Um, that was the first one that, that, you know, that was a big reason for me, but also to avoid any bad losses this year. Again, Tennessee could lose to a, you know, I guess a quad two opponent or whatever in the SEC tournament, but to avoid any bad losses in the regular season, Tennessee was. Uh, you know, right now, 22 and seven, as we're recording this, all seven of those are quad one losses. And the majority of the teams that Tennessee, you know, lost to, I want to say majority, but a lot of them are ranked above or like right around where Tennessee is. Now, looking at, here's the top, here's the top 10 of the net. Tennessee's re- currently ranked ninth. Gonzaga's one, Arizona's two, Tennessee beat them. Baylor, Houston, Kentucky, Tennessee split with them. Duke, Villanova, Tennessee lost to them. Kansas, Tennessee, Texas Tech. Tennessee lost to them. And then number 11 is Auburn. So Tennessee played like a, a 
large chunk of the top 11 in the net currently. And then you don't have to scroll much further down to get to 15 is Texas, 16 is LSU. So, and Alabama's 21. So you want to extend it to the top 21, Arkansas 23. You want to extend it to the top 23. Tennessee has played a, a huge chunk of the top 23 teams in college basketball, according to uh, both the net and the Ken Palm, because I know Ken Palm's not too much different than the net right now with, with the way the rankings are. But I mean, that just, the, the, the string of the schedule, I, I tweeted this out, I think it was, it was shortly after the Auburn game. I think it might've been that Sunday after that Tennessee string of the schedule, I think is like fifth on Ken Palm, but looking like historically that how the string of the schedule is, is ranked each year on Ken Palm and on, uh, on sports reference, both this is Tennessee's toughest strength of schedule in terms of just teams they've played and whatnot in uh it was i think it was the toughest string of the schedule in 20 years for tennessee the last the last time tennessee had a, a string of the schedule this i guess this difficult was uh, ramirez i think it was the yeah it was the 2001 2002 team so exactly two decades ago the, the 0102 team had a, a top five you know string of the schedule that year and that was was that jerry green yeah that would have been jerry green at that time no no that would have been kevin o'neill Oh, my, my years in the early 2000s are mixing together right now. I can't remember who it was. Oh, one, oh, two. No, Kevin O'Neill. Kevin O'Neill was never. No, that was Jerry Green. Okay. So they have a Jerry Green. So that, that, that team made this, made the NCAA tournament. That might have been the Sweet 16 team that Jerry Green had. I don't remember now which one went to the Sweet 16. I'll look it up because now I'm, now I'm curious. But regardless, this has been Tennessee's toughest schedule in 20 years. And they're. 2000. Okay. Thank you. This is their toughest schedule in 20 years, and they're 22 and seven. And all seven of the losses have been to uh, quality opponents. The, the worst loss Tennessee has this year is still to a team that's ranked in the top 25 in the AP poll, in the net, and in Ken Palm. And that's to Alabama. And that was on the road when you didn't have Kennedy Chandler or John Fulgerson uh, due to COVID. So again, they haven't had a bad loss. Tennessee's looked bad in some of those games. You know, they looked bad offensively, especially against Texas Tech. They looked bad kind of overall against Villanova and they they did not look good on the road against LSU um and Arkansas was you know we talked about already like that was I think more to do with the officiating than necessarily Tennessee but Tennessee still didn't look good you you can't take can't blame it all on the refs um but they haven't lost to a a poor quality team and I think that was you, you and I talked about last episode looking back kind of year by year almost about you know in the Rick Barnes era going back to Conzo like Tennessee hasn't had there have only been like this year and I think uh, the eighteen nineteen year. No, I can't remember what year we said now, but there's been like two years in the last 10 years of, or 15 years of Tennessee basketball where they've had no bad losses when you look at the resume. And that's impressive. And th- that to me, I, I, th- I personally think this team is a three seed right now in the NCAA tournament. I don't think they play their way into a two seed, but I, I think getting a three seed and getting into you a more favorable bracket that doesn't have – you know, that maybe has a Houston or Baylor as a number one seed, if that's who the number one seed is. Because I don't I don't know Duke could get to number one at this point. They're kind of starting to play really well here at the right time. Uh, but Kansas just lost. I think they were they were a one seed, I think, on Joel already, but they just lost um, a game as well. So, I mean, I, we talked about last week too, Gene. There isn't really a true, like, head, head and shoulders above everyone else top four teams in college basketball this year. There's still, I think the the I think Gonzaga, unless they get a, upset against, you know, the a team that isn't St. Mary's in the Western Coast Conference, Gonzaga I think, I think is number one. I think Arizona will be number one, but I think those last two number one spots are really up for grabs. And Arizona could still slip out of it too because they could lose in the first round or first matchup in their you know the Pac-12 tournament. So I think that 
number one's locked in. I think Gonzaga has a number one seed. Again, unless they have a really bad upset loss to somebody in, in the Western Coast Conference. Arizona, again, I think Arizona is another number one seed. The last two are up for grabs, and Auburn's been there, Kentucky's been there. But both those have both those teams, you know, lost to Tennessee and have lost other games that knocked them out. I think Duke's playing their way into it. Villanova could be playing their way into it as well because they've looked really good and they just beat uh, Providence on a really nice game on Tuesday night too. This is a it's it's a crazy you know we always like to say March Madness and hey it's crazy every year but this year really truly feels like that I would be stunned if we got chalk like going into. Uh, you know, the lead eight and final four. I, I, I just, I would be very shocked if we saw more than, if we saw more than two number one seeds make it to the final four. I, I, I would be stunned maybe if we even saw more than one. Like, I, I don't know. This is a year where you see a lot of number one seeds make it to the final four, and that benefits Tennessee because they're not, they're not going to be number one seed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, again, I think I'm like you. I, I could see Tennessee being a two or three, uh, three maybe right circumstances too. Uh, worst case scenario for it's just going to depend on what happens uh, all across the country because there's always seems to be waiting you know th- there seems to be a preference for some of these um like big 12 teams and things of that nature and obviously the big 12 is kind of top heavy as well this year but um again like the answer is always I, I remember six years ago i was covering um utc and uh they drew the unfortunate draw of an, an indiana team that won the Big Ten that year and lost early in the tournament and got a uh, four, I believe. There were a five. They got a five. And that team, a week after beating, I'm sorry, a game after beating UTC, uh, beat Kentucky, if I recall, and and lost, I think, in the Sweet 16 or Elite Eight. And (laughs) weirdly enough, coached by Tom Green. So, (laughs) but it's, you know, the, the key is always to try to build yourself um, you know, you, you're trying to just build yourself up for this time of year. And um, how many teams across the country can say they're doing that? Like, again, we're, we're a Tennessee podcast. So, of course, I'm going to say that right now, Tennessee is one of those that's in the position that if there are three or if there are four, uh, you know, if there are three, you're going to have to face a six, then a two, um, provided you get past the 14. If you're, you know, if you're a four, you're going to have to get past the 13 and then a, uh, a five. And then a, a one. And so the question is, like, what would you rather have? Like, what's the mm-hmm. best situation that you can put yourself in? And you can't control that. Like, what you control is basically playing every single game and doing um, doing everything that you possibly can can do to be your best, uh, to, you know, to make yourself um, tough to beat. And can Tennessee guard? Yes. Uh, can Tennessee defend? Yes. Uh, can Tennessee score? Uh, enough 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 and uh, like can they score well enough to win a lot of games yes do they have guys who can make plays yes they got Kenny Chandler that's great and, and so what this all boils down to me is this is a team that we talked about this earlier it's a team that it, uh, I think has the components to make a run in March because there's not just one specific formula to stopping this team and they and like do you have guys who can make plays in March and I think the answer to that question is yes. Uh, that'll start to show itself against Arkansas and then wherever, you know, the chips fall uh, next week in, in, in Nashville or no, Tampa. It still just throws me off. Man. <laughs> in Tampa, in Tampa. Uh, like that, like to me, when I'm looking at all this stuff, they've put themselves in the position to be a three, to be a four, 
but to be playing potentially their best basketball um, going into the tournament. And the seeds only matter so much. Yeah, you don't want to be a five because the 12 always beats a five. Um, and I think they're pretty much past that right now. I think they're with the third three seed, I think, right now. It's what I, the last time I saw them. Yeah, I think so. they are. They're in a good they're in a good position. And as long as they take care of their business, um, then I I have zero question about what their ability is going to be, that what they're capable of accomplishing in March, because look, they've done everything they possibly can. Yeah, looking on the bracket matrix, which I mentioned last podcast, I think, and if you all don't know what it is, it's it's kind of what as the name describes it, it takes a lot of the most popular uh and, and kind of you know vetted bracketology sites like ESPN, CBS and, and and several others and kind of averages them out to see where teams are are seated um and all those. And right now right now, Gene, Tennessee and Villanova, funny enough, are basically tied kind of for that that for a third seed. Tennessee's averaging a, a a seed of 3.06 and Villanova's 3.07. So right now Tennessee's technically the second three seed and Villanova's the third, third seed, but whatever, you know, it's a three seed. And then it's funny, the other three seed in there with them, Texas Tech, another Tennessee opponent. <laughs> it just goes back to the point I was making that Tennessee's played, no, like they've only lost to good teams this year because both those teams that Tennessee lost to on neutral sites, nonetheless, Tech and Nova are both uh, considered three seeds. Wisconsin's the other one that's... Um, lumped in there right now on the bracket matrix but uh, according to bracket matrix bracket matrix right now the one seeds uh and you know looking at a lot of these brackets a lot of them have been updated um on tuesday but i don't know what time tuesday was before games were played or not but i know there will be a lot of updates after the wednesday slate of games because tuesday wednesday are the most popular you know game times for midweek games so there'll be there'll be a big update like tonight or early thursday morning um for the brackets, but right now the one seeds are Gonzaga, Baylor, Arizona, Kansas, with two SEC schools being in two seeds in Auburn, Kentucky, and then Duke and Purdue. And then I just said Texas Tech, Tennessee, Villanova, Wisconsin being the, the three seeds. So uh, that'd be interesting because I, I think if, ten, if if those are the one seeds, it just feels too early to say all this, but those are the one seeds I would, I would love for Tennessee to be able to like move up to be, I guess, the they'd be the best three seed, I guess, to get to the worst one seed. I don't know. Regardless, I would feel okay if Tennessee had to play Arizona uh, again, just because they played each other. But it's already—it's always hard to beat a school or beat a team twice in a season. So we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. We we still have a whole you know tournament time and, and conference tournament play to to get to before we get to all that. But Gene, I think that'll be where we uh in the podcast. I want to give one more update on the Sakai Ziegler GoFundMe because it's it just keeps going up. And again, as I said, top of the show, I'll have links to that in the description both here on the youtube channel and in the podcast description so if you're listening to this on your you know on your phone or whatever you can follow it or go to the link there um or again if you're on youtube you can find it in the description but right now gene the my goodness it is almost to 200,000 we're at 195,550 or 588 so tennessee fans have gotten it to almost $200,000 and there's been over 3,000 donations to the GoFundMe for Sakai Ziegler and his family. Um, and wait, here we go. We have, we have actually have an update uh, from, I guess, Ziegler himself, but it's from his family. I got him. You know, he's the one that says he's the organizer, but an updated post from him. It says, we have been absolutely blown away by the outpouring of support and generosity. Any contributions above and beyond our final losses and expenses will be donated to charity. So thank you to everyone who's given. So if you're worried about, you know, well, they've gotten so far above, you know, where's this money going to go? 
there you go. If they're going to have their costs covered and then whatever uh, goes above and beyond the cost that they need to repair things and, you know, I guess address their needs, it will go to a charity. Uh, that That's awesome. That, that doesn't surprise me that that's what they're going to do with it. I, I figured as much, but Again, that's in the that that links in the chat if you want to go and or not in the chat. Wow, in the description if you want to go and uh, go donate to that as well. But thank you all so much for listening. Again, subscribe to the channel while you're here. Give this video a like. Subscribe to the podcast as well. We would really appreciate it. Now that March is here, going to have a lot of Vols and Lady Vols news, and we should have a Lady Vols podcast coming out uh, later this week as well before they take the court for their first game on Friday against probably Georgia, but we'll see who they end up playing. Um, on Friday as Lady Vols are, a three, are the three seed in the women's basketball tournament. And that is in Nashville, Gene. So they get the they get the nice venue in Nashville. Men's team got to go all the way down to Tampa. So again, signing off for Gene, I am Nathaniel. Thank you all so much for tuning in. This has been another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss a new episode. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for more video content and follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Thank you, Vol fans.